We're going to turn tonight in the Word of God. We're turning to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. If you're turning to the place, uh, point out Joshua is a tremendous book in the Bible. It's a book, really, that you would love to study in a very in-depth way. And um, when I was in the Bible college, Dr. Douglas did do in-depth studies in the book of Joshua, and they were absolutely fascinating. Well, my message tonight has come out of a, a particular discussion that I was having with some colleagues on a particular issue, and... Um, I made reference to the book of Joshua and I asked them to remember and I, I asked them to remember this, who's in charge? And that's a very important thing. So that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. So let's read from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to read from the verse 13. So we're breaking into the chapter, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now we'll end the reading there at verse 5. And we trust and pray that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. 
Now, my text tonight is taken from Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through to 15. And my theme this evening is God's strategy for victory. Now, Joshua, remember, after the death of Moses, was the one appointed by the Lord to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River and to bring them into the land of Canaan, the land of promised inheritance. Joshua, remember, is the head soldier of the army of the Lord. So think of him tonight having crossed the Jordan. They had entered into the land of their inheritance. They're encamped by Gilgal. They have reintroduced the rite of circumcision. They have observed the Passover. And then on that particular night, Joshua slips away from the camp. And he, he comes near to the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho remembers a great city. Its walls reached up to the sky, in a sense, if you're standing at the bottom looking up, as if they're going to touch heaven. The walls were so thick that you could have raced at least three chariots around side by side. Jericho's a great city of antiquity and in history. In fact, it's the oldest inhabited place on the earth. It was a city great not only in antiquity and history, but a city great in iniquity and immorality. And that night as Joshua came near this city, he was surely thinking to himself, he was asking himself the question, how are we ever going to take this city? It might be wicked, but it's well fortified. This is an impossible task. Remember, Joshua thinks that he's alone. He slipped out of the camp. There's no other Israelite soldier with him. And he's there to survey the scene and to come up with a strategy, because he's the, the chief soldier in charge of the army, for, for taking the city. And as he's near Jericho, he encounters someone else's there. We read of a man standing against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And immediately Joshua asks him a question. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? The answer he got was startling as well as surprising. If you look at verse 14, but he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And immediately Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And the Bible tells us that he did worship. He worshiped that man. And then he asked him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And it was then that the mysterious visitor instructed Joshua with these words, loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And after that, when Joshua had obeyed, the man told Joshua, in chapter 6 and verse 2, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And what followed was some very basic, simple instructions in how to take the city. 
All the men of war were to walk around the whole of the city once per day for the next six days. And that in their company there was to be seven priests who would go before the ark of the Lord and each priest was to have a trumpet of ram's horn and they were to blow upon that ram's horn. And the other priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were to follow them. And the soldiers would be then behind them. And on the seventh day, they were to walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time, the priests were to blow a long blast on the ram's horn. The people were to shout with a great shout. And God had told Joshua, at that moment, the walls of the city will fall down flat and you will take the city. And what Joshua was told by this mysterious visitor that night, he followed exactly to the letter. And this, of course, led to the downfall of that great historical city, that immoral city called Jericho, and it never fully recovered in history. Now, what is the Lord's strategy for victory in the Christian life? Remember that the children of Israel going into Canaan is a picture not of heaven, because there's no battles in heaven, There's no sin in heaven. It's a picture of the Christian life. Of a life of blessing. A life of power and victory. As the children of Israel go into the land to inherit all the earthly blessings that God has promised. So spiritually God's people in Christ can make progress. And they can enjoy all the blessings and privileges that that are ours in him. And and what strategy have we got for a life of power and blessing in Christ? How can we march to victory? We we face big problems. We face big walls like Jericho. And they're stopping our advance. And and how can we win the victory? And of course the answer is given for us in the Bible. Listen to what the the scripture says in the book of Hebrews. uh, And Hebrews chapter uh, 11. And in the verse um, uh, 30, we read there these words. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Joshua took God at his word. He did what God said. And by faith, he won the day. Now, I want us to think tonight, for the time that we have, of God's strategy for victory. Because in this portion, I see five things. And I'm going to share them with you tonight. Okay? Joshua, remember you're a soldier. If you look with me, it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Now remember, Joshua is one who's in the Lord's army. Joshua's a soldier. 
During the beginning of World War I in June 1914, Lord Kissinger used a poster format to get the message to young men to join up and enlist in the army and go forth and fight a battle in the battlefields of Europe. And this was the poster with a finger pointing uh, a portrait of himself, your country needs you. Now, the Lord has an army. And every true born-again believer who is genuinely saved by the grace of God and washed in the blood of Christ, that individual is a soldier in the army of the King of Kings. Think of a little children's song, I'm in the Lord's army. In other words, I'm one of his soldiers. The Bible tells us endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're not only saved and we're not only sons and servants, But let's remember as well, we're soldiers. Now, the soldiers of the Lord, of course, don't fight with bombs and bullets. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, as the uh, Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, the soldiers of the Lord aren't using tanks and hand grenades and machine guns and bayonets. The weapons of the Lord's soldiers are spiritual. The weapon of prayer. The word of God. The Bible describes it as the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The weapon of praise. Isn't there a shout of praise here? The weapon of holiness of life. The testimony of a changed life of any man being Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things become now. Now, the soldiers of the Lord don't resort to violence. They don't issue threats. They're not involved in intimidation and murder. The soldiers of the Lord abhor violence and abhor murder. And the true soldier of the Lord would say that there's no man or no individual or no woman or no group has the legal right to kill and murder in any land. That only the crown forces have that legitimate right under circumstances. You see, murder is wrong. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And what happened in Northern Ireland during the 40 years of hell-inspired terrorism should never have happened Because it was contrary to the mind and will of God. And I want to say tonight that the IRA, as well as loyalist paramilitaries, had no legitimate right to murder or to wage war on their neighbours or to be involved in intimidation or threats. No one had the right to spill the blood of the innocent. And those that were involved in that campaign of violence, we in the church, we need to call upon them to repent and to get right with God, to repent and believe the gospel. And I want to say tonight that the sight and the sound of Thomas Begley, one of the bombers that let off the bomb in Fazell's chip shop 25 years ago in the Schenkel Road, for him to say, sorry, Well, we're going to respond to that and say, that's not enough. Because that's only telling people how you feel. You need to admit that what you did was wrong and sinful. You need to take another step and say, I repent. 
I repudiate what I did. And I'm willing to pay for my crimes. And I'm willing to make restoration for that. And I will refuse to glorify terrorism or terrorists from this day forth. And that our campaign was not a legitimate campaign. You see, the soldiers of the Lord don't resort to carnal violence and don't use carnal weapons. And if you're saved tonight by the grace of God and washed in the blood of Christ and trusting in him, then you're one of the Lord's soldiers. And if you're not saved, then you're not one of his soldiers. You haven't yet enlisted in the army. And if you want to be saved tonight, you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Admit and acknowledge your sinnership. You need to seek the Lord and ask him to forgive you. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He summons you to repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is an integral part of the gospel. It's, it's interconnected to true faith. If you have true penitence, there'll be true faith. One inter is dependent on the other. And as you exercise faith in Christ as a sinner, trusting him for salvation, coming under his lordship and his rule, then automatically and irresistibly, he enlists you in his army. And just as Lord Kissinger in, 20, uh, in 1914 said, your country needs you, so the Lord Jesus Christ himself says to all who's in his army, your captain needs you. So, so think of that. Joshua was by Jericho. Now why was he there? He's there because he's one of the Lord's soldiers. I want you to see, secondly, Joshua, remember your supremo. Here's the second strategy for victory. When Joshua crossed the Jordan and camped in Gilgal, restated the rite of circumcision, um, reintroduced the, the uh, feast of the Passover, and went out of the camp that night, he went to Jericho for a particular reason. He was thinking of how we're going to take this city. He was looking at the high walls. He was thinking about the barred gates. The whole city shut up, nobody coming out and nobody coming in. It's impossible. He was probably thinking, Lord, we've got a problem. This is a, a big conundrum. I, I believe he got alone to think. He maybe even got alone to pray. He's, he's pondering a strategy. And at that exact moment as he thinks that through, he meets a man, the man's got a sword in his hand, and naturally, he's fearful. And he asks the question, are you for us or for our adversaries? And look at the answer. Verse 14. Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Do you see that? Now, now think with me as you hear Joshua in this strategy, recognize your supremo, think of his supremacy. You see the word captain there? That's very important. If you look at the margin, here's an alternative rendering. It says prince. 
And I ask you tonight, who's the Prince of Life? Acts 3 verse 15. Kill the Prince of Life, Peter preached. Acts 5 and 31, he's mentioned again as the Prince of Life. He's mentioned as the prince of the kings of the earth in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Now, now you think of it tonight. There was kings, powerful kings in control of Jericho. It says in Joshua 5 and 1, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites were which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their hearts melted neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So, so think of the words, the kings of the Ammonites, the, the, the kings of the Canaanites. And when this person introduced himself to Joshua, you know what he was saying? I'm more powerful than the kings of the Amorites. I'm more powerful than the kings of the Canaanites. I haven't come to take sides, Joshua. You're asking me a question. Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? No, I've come to take charge. Because I'm the prince of the hosts of the Lord. Joshua, I'm your supreme commander. I'm come to take over. Joshua, you're not the top dog. You're not number one over the army. You're only a second in command. Joshua, I'm in charge. Now, now think tonight of the one who's in charge of the church. The Lord is. Jesus Christ is the church's supreme ruler. He's the only head and king of the church, our catechism tells us. And true soldiers will bow the knee to him and they will ask, what saith my Lord unto thy servant? In other words, Lord, what is your will for me? Lord, show me your will and Lord, give me grace and help and power to carry it out. You see, that's the true starting point for everything that's going on in the life of the church. What is the Lord's will? What's the Lord's will when you come to open a shop? Whether a Bible shop or a charity shop? What's the Lord's will when you come to make a decision to close a church? You see, it's his will that has to stand supreme. And let me just say tonight, he actually says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. So therefore, let's not despise the day of small things, even though our numbers are down tonight. Let's think, even if there's two or three meeting, what does the Lord promise? I am there in the midst. And even if there's, there's two or three, have, have, have men the right to close a work for God and, and put the lights out? You see, it, it comes back to, to what his will is. And even if the church is laughed at and ridiculed and undermined, the mindset is, Lord, I'm under you. Lord, you're in charge. Think of his supremacy tonight. Think also of his standing. Notice the words here. Did, did you pick it up? Verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and 
Behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Notice the words, there stood a man over against him. What's that indicating? That's indicating his posture. Standing over against him. What's that a reference to? I believe it's a reference to support. Joshua, I stand with you in the fight here. Joshua, I am here now. I am now come, not only to take charge, but to stand with you and support you. Don't we read of Paul in 2 Timothy, that all men forsook him, and yet he made this statement, nevertheless the Lord stood with me. Didn't Stephen say, I see Jesus standing in the right hand of God. Jesus saying, I am with you, Stephen. Stephen, I am for you. I'll support you in this. I'll give you strength. I'll help you, even as you give your life as a martyr for me. Notice a sword. Where's the sword? It's in his hand. It's drawn. It's not in its sheath. In other words, the sword is opened already in his hand, ready for battle. I was trying to find that reference in Deuteronomy, the Lord is a man of war. In other words, he was saying to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to realize you're in the winning side. You're not fighting for victory. Because the victory's already yours. Because I'm giving it to you. Listen to what he says in chapter 6 and verse 2. See, I've already, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Notice his, his side. He says here, and as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Think of a multitude, the hosts of the Lord. Think of the whole army in heaven under the command of the supreme commander. How powerful an army that it is. Remember when Christ was born, a multitude of the heavenly host came over the ramparts of heaven and started to praise and, and, and thank God. Remember when Peter cut off the high priest's servant's ear, Malchus, what did the Lord Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, could I not pray to my father and that he would send me 12 legions of angels? Remember that it was one angel that slew the whole army of the Assyrians in one night in the very days of Gideon. You see, notice his seconds. He says, am I now come? The Lord was never late in coming. He's never in a hurry to come to our aid to help. But he's never late. You see, there's an assurance of victory when he stands with us to support us with the sword drawn, having the backing of the host of heaven. Notice his salute. What do we read of Joshua? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. A proper salute. He was submitting to the Lord. There was an absolute surrender of himself. He was falling before the Savior. He, he was falling down to worship. He recognized this is not an ordinary angel. This is not just a mere man. This is God's man. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the heavenly Joshua, whose name is Jesus. Joshua recognized him. This was one of Christ's pre-incarnate appearances. That's why Joshua saluted him the way that he did. He, he recognized him as his supremo. Notice quickly here, and thirdly, here was the, another part of the strategy. Joshua, remove your shoes. Notice verse 15. 
And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Remove thy shoes. Why? Because you're in the place of holiness. Because you're in the presence of God incarnate. If you ladies had cleaned the floor, sets the back hallway or the front hallway, and somebody comes in with muddy shoes, dirty welly boots, or somebody just comes in with dirt and grime on their shoes, you're going to say to them, having just washed the floor, take off your shoes. You see, God was saying to Joshua that evening, Joshua, because you're on holy ground, I want you to remove the dirt and the filth out of your life. So therefore, take off your shoes. In Chinese culture, and Japanese culture, in various homes, in every home that you'd go into, you'd have to take off your shoes. That's part of their culture. And they do it out of respect. They may, they may even do it for, for religious reasons. But the Lord would say to every soldier, you need to turn from all uncleanness. Of course, you can't do it in yourself by your own power. But remember this, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Remember, we can't come into God's presence with sin because the Bible says none that the defileth shall enter in. And when we think of worldliness, what is it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John Wesley defined it this way. Worldliness is anything that cools your love for Christ. Is there something cooling your love for Christ in all the outworking of that? Well, that's worldliness. That's to do with the pride of life. That's to do with the lust of the flesh. That's to do with the lust of the eyes. And, and it's to be put away. Just, just like Joshua was told, remove your shoes. Why? Because remember, you're a soldier in the army. And you're, you've bowed the knee to your supremo. So here's what I want you to do. Remove your shoes. John Wesley also added this, that godliness is anything that causes you to increase in love for Christ. Godliness is anything that causes you to increase your love for Christ. Here's the fourth thing. Joshua, receive your summons. It was the supreme commander that told Joshua how to be victorious over Jericho. He gave Joshua certain orders. He gave him a summons of what to do. Not a mere suggestion, but a summons, a command. Joshua, I want you to divide up your company. I want you to have seven priests at the front bearing ram's horns. I want you to have the priests carrying the ark um, behind them. And I want you to have the, the soldiers and the men of war carrying their weapons. And I want you to march around this city once per day for six days. And on the seventh day, seven times. And on the seventh time, this is what I want you to do. I thought of that. What does that suggest? It suggests different roles for different people. It almost like is suggesting different regiments. Could I suggest tonight for God's church, we need the watchers regiment. We need young men and women as well on the walls who'll buy the truth and sell it not, who'll watch for the enemy, whether it's the ecumenical movement, liberals, modernists, the, the charismatic confusion. But because of the truth, they know what they believe and why they believe it. They have joined the Watchers Regiment. What about the Workers Regiment? Do we need workers in the army? 
to build things, to shoe horses, to, to fix weapons, to fix the wheels in the wagon. And what is true in a literal army is true in a spiritual army. We need workers. We need laborers to engage in outreach, to give out a tract, a CD, to, to invite others to the service. I, I think of those words, service and sacrifice, because we're saved. We, we'll engage in this service and we'll do it joyfully and willingly as unto the Lord. What about the Wheelers Regiment? Those that will pray. Those that will cry unto God as the Lord of the harvest. Pray for laborers. Pray for God to visit the harvest field. Pray that the Lord remember the battle. What about the Worshippers Regiment? Sunday morning. Sunday evening, you, you'll, you'll be part of that regiment. You'll say, you know where I'll be? Sunday, I'll be in the house of God. And I'll do it because I love the Lord. And when it comes to communion, I'll be part of that worshippers regiment as well. And, and I'll not miss, because it's not right. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. What about the wagers regiment? Those who believe the Lord is my portion. And out of love for the Lord, because the Lord has been good and blessed them materially and physically, and in love and gratitude to him, give a portion back to the Lord. And they do it voluntarily. And, and your giving is voluntary. I don't know what you give, and I, I never want to know. But I'm thankful that you give voluntarily, that you give sacrificially, that, that you set aside for the building fund, the, 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 the uh, general account, and so does the treasurer. And we appreciate that very much. John Wesley said the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Here's a soldier, Joshua. And he gets this summons. It's like an order. This is what I want you to do to conquer Jericho. And he does it to the letter. Imagine a soldier saying to his supreme commander, no, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. That's daft. He'd be court-martialed. He'd be guilty of insubordination. You see... Under Christ, we're all privates. Under Christ, we're not divided up into generals and sergeants and sergeant majors. and We're all privates under Christ. You, you, you think tonight of Joshua receiving this summons of how to conquer Jericho. And I want you to say one final thing. Joshua, rejoice in salvation. Think of verse 2 of chapter 6. See, Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And how did it commence? It commenced with faith when he met this man of war with the sword drawn in his hand. And he conquered the city through faith because that's what we read off in the book of Hebrews. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about Seven days. Faith is the victory we've been singing. I have given you the victory, this supreme commander was saying. I've already given it to you. Now, you're going to experience it. You're going to appropriate it. It's yours by faith. Oh, the battle hasn't happened yet. The walls haven't come tumbling down yet. The king and its army haven't submitted. You're not going to fight for victory. You're fighting from a victorious position. And your victory is rooted in the word that I have given you, in the word of God. You've believed me. Remember what faith is. It's not wishful thinking. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, 
Joshua obeys what God says to him to do. And you can imagine other people saying, well, it's stupid what you're doing, marching around this city once per day for six days. But Joshua wasn't stupid. Joshua was sensible in that he was trusting and obeying the Lord. Lord, I'm going to obey your word. I finish with this. Hudson Taylor was asked, in China, having founded the Chinese Inland Mission, or the China Inland Mission, he was asked, how do you do God's work, Mr. Taylor? And he said this, well, you could bring forth the best plan and carry it out to your ability. You could provide the best plan and then ask God to bless it. Or you can begin with God. And you can bow the knee and say, Lord, what's your will for this village, this town, this place? What's your will for my life? Lord, show me. Give me instruction and help. And then give me grace and help to do it. And then, Lord, if you show me your will and give me grace and help to do it, I'll have your blessing in my life. I can hear the people saying to old Joshua, you're mad. Joshua, you've got a big problem. Joshua knows he's got a problem and a conundrum. But Joshua believes the word of his supreme commander. And he might have been tempted to give up, but seven times. In that seventh day, they trunched around the walls. And they had faith in God. And God gave them the victory. And the Bible says this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. What's God's strategy for victory? Joshua, remember you're a soldier. Joshua, recognize you're supremo. Joshua, remove your shoes. Joshua, receive your summons. Joshua, rejoice in salvation. Because I've given you the city. Faith is the victory. May the Lord take these few stumbling, stammering words and bless them to us this evening.